have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We're going to be looking today at verses 1 through 15. Uh, as you turn there, I meant to mention in my pastoral prayer, but I've, I've preached this morning at Gumtree. Um, Charles and his bunch have been exposed to COVID. His daughter has it, and so they are... Um, they were scrambling, trying to find somebody, so be in prayer for them. He also had two granddaughters in the past month and a half, so also be in prayer for that as well. So um, Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. Let me read this to you. So soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuz, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when, and when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parable, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones who on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, we pray your blessings on this time that we have together. Uh, Lord, it is a joy uh, to to see your word, to hear you speak to us, and that's certainly what we need in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, Lord, as we we wrestle with our sin, as we wrestle with the lost world, uh, we don't need opinions, we don't need good advice, uh, but we need the very words of life. And so we pray that your spirit might speak to us in in a mighty and powerful way, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ears to hear. Well, many of you will be, uh, many of you, many of you ladies especially, uh, will be familiar with the phenomenon that my mother calls selective hearing. Uh, This is the term that she uses to describe when someone, namely me or my father, uh, chooses or seems only to hear bits and pieces of the things that, that she says to us. And it's usually the bits and pieces that we really most want to hear. My dad is grinning at me like crazy right now. I'm trying not to laugh. Um, Now, there's many reasons why this phenomenon might occur. Uh, Most often, first, most often, uh, it may happen just because there's so many distractions that are going on around you that it's hard to take in 
all of the things that are being said. You know, if a football game is happening, if a baseball game is happening, if you're at the climactic point of a TV show or a movie, it's just hard to, to hear everything at once. You know, at that point, you kind of have to start multitasking, and let's be honest, that's not really our strong suit. So sometimes there's just too much. You have to prioritize something, and that, that's what happens. Second reason why selective hearing might happen, it's a little bit less innocent. Now, this is not what me and my dad do at all, but this is a reality. I'm just speaking from what I have heard that this might be the case. You could also, there are times uh, where we just simply don't want to hear the things that are being said, and so we tune out all the things that we don't like, and we just really hear the things that we do like. I've noticed in the past that many people take this approach when they go to doctor's appointments. So the doctor brings them news, and you say, well, how did it go? And they say, oh, it was great news. It was all good. Well, then you find out later the news was not really that good at all. They just heard the good parts. They heard the things that they wanted. There's a third reason why selective hearing might happen, and this is probably the most legitimate. There are genuinely times where we just can't understand, where we can't process the things that are being said to us. Maybe there's, there's loud noises around. Maybe it's technical terminology, like if you go to the doctor's office, maybe you can't understand what they're trying to say to you. Maybe it's in a foreign language. Whatever it is, here it's not so much that, that we don't want to hear, but it's that we just simply can't understand or can't hear the things that are being said. And so again, we're left with just bits and pieces, or maybe we're left not hearing anything at all. We are left with selective hearing. Now, I begin there this morning because throughout Jesus' ministry, and really up until this point in Luke, we have seen with these great crowds that have gathered, one of the great issues almost always as these people walk away, uh, what they're left with is this matter of selective hearing. They seem to only hear the things that they want to hear from what Jesus has to say. You know, some of them think he is the, the quote-unquote Jewish Messiah, the one who is going to come overthrow the Roman government, who's going to free them finally back to their own land, to their own government. Some think, you know, he has a demon. We've seen them, the Pharisees say that. Uh, they think he's no prophet at all. Others like this part of what he says, or they don't like this part of what he says, and so they, they kind of pick and choose and still others are just simply too distracted by all the voices, all the miracles, all the things that are going on to hear anything of what Jesus really has to say. Even though up until this point, he has taught fairly plainly, right? We've seen the Sermon on the Plain. He's most likely already gone through the, the Sermon on the Mount. He's taught to them in a way that, that is easy to understand, that is plain. The majority of the people seem to be incapable or maybe unwilling to get the message that they need, as Jesus says here, ears to hear, and that's going to become even more evident. It's going to become even more pressing as we read our passage today, because here Jesus begins to, to teach in full measure in the style that, that he is most associated with. Here he begins in full measure to use the, the parables that, that we know him for. And now, we've already seen him use a couple in Luke, uh, but, but this one, most commentators agree, seems to mark a turning point in his ministry. 
Uh, it is recorded for us in all three Gospels. It's given at the height of his popularity among the people there. Uh, and it comes with an explanation. Uh, now, not just an explanation for the parable itself, but it comes with an explanation for why he chooses to use parables. And I think that explanation may be surprising to us. You know, for most of us, we, we see these, these parables as nice stories. Uh, we perceive them as something that's going to help us understand, right? Like maybe a sermon illustration. What does Jesus say? He says these parables are meant to make it for the crowd so that in verse 9, they may see and not hear. May, may hear and not mm. They may have ears and not hear in seeing that they may not see. In other words, these parables are going to make it harder for these men to discern the truth. Uh, as Philip Ryken says, he says, These stories are easy enough to follow, but their meaning is much harder to discern. If we define a parable, as most people do, as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, it is the heavenly part that is hard for us to understand. Now, I want us to pause there for a moment just to try to digest that a little. You know, when I started this, this study in Luke, I said part of my reasoning for it was that I wanted to teach these parables, and that's still true. But, but we really need to hear and understand what Jesus is saying to us. That there's two dangers as we approach these parables. First, they, they are, as Jesus describes them, the, the secrets of the kingdom. They, they contain the, the, the secrets of God. And so often that they conceal the truth. You know, it reminds us of what Isaiah uh, is told at his calling, right? You remember the people there had rebelled against God. Uh, they had chosen to go their own way. And so in Isaiah 6 and in verse 9, uh, when God calls Isaiah, he says there, um, Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Though Isaiah is bringing the very word of God to them, they're not going to understand it. They're not going to see with any clarity. It's the same thing that Paul says in 2 Corinthians, right? He says, for some, that his message is an aroma of life. It brings newness. And then some, it's an aroma of death. Well, in teaching this way, Christ is doing the same thing. The stories are so familiar. They would have been so familiar to these people that they're so common, and I mean that in the sense of the common content, the things that he talks about are everyday sort of things, uh, that they separate those who are ready to truly dig deep for meaning and those who want to just kind of skim the service, that those who want to selectively hear. Again, uh, Leon Morris, he says this, uh, Jesus was looking for those, uh, Jesus was looking for more than a superficial adherence. So he intensified his use of parables, stories which yielded their meaning only to those who were prepared to search for them. The parables demand thought and spiritual earnestness. They separate the sincere seeker from the casual hearer. And so we need to be careful on the one hand that we're digging deep, that we're not just kind of skimming the surface of these parables. They may seem common, uh, but the meaning is deep. The meaning is there, almost hidden to us. But there's a second danger here, and it's on the other extreme. 
The other danger is trying to find meaning in every single piece of the parables. You know, this was common kind of in the Middle Ages. They, they would take this allegorical approach, and every single thing in the story would have a meaning. And so like in our parable today, you know, the sower would have a meaning, the seed would have a meaning, the ground would have a meaning, the, the birds and the rain and everything would have a meaning. It was almost as if the parables were a blank canvas so that we could draw whatever we want to on them. But that's, that's a dangerous thing. We need to remember that Christ gave these parables with a purpose, a singular purpose. And so as we study them always, really this is true for God's word, always. We need to make sure we, we get the context that it's in. We need to make sure we understand what he's trying to drive us to. So we, we need to dig deep, but we don't need to make them exactly what we want them to be. And so from the beginning, as we look at the parables, we need to consider our approach. We want to avoid these warnings. We want to have ears to hear. And the truth is, is that that only comes as God speaks to us through his word. And so our prayer is not simply, Lord, give us the desire to dig and understand. But our, our prayer as we approach these is give us understanding. God, give us wisdom. Give us the truth as we move through these. As, as the psalmist says in Psalm 119, open our eyes so that we might behold marvelous and joyous and wonderful things in your word. Well, with that in mind, let, let's look at this passage before us today. Now, before we get into the actual parable itself, I just want us to take note of verses 1 through 3, and I want you to see there the valued place of three surprising servants. You know, as, as Luke opens up chapter 8, we see uh, that Christ is sort of on a preaching tour, right? Uh, he's going from cities to, to villages, and he's bringing the word with him as he goes. And of course, uh, the, the 12 disciples are there as well. Uh, but notice here that it's not just the disciples that are with him. Uh, there's also these, these three ladies there in verses 2 and 3. Now, in some ways, this, this takes us back to last week and to the story of the woman who anointed Jesus' feet, right? You know, we said then uh, that that was a woman who had been forgiven much, and so she showed her love by anointing Jesus in that way. And that's true for these women as well. They had been healed of evil spirits, of infirmities. Christ had given them a new lease on life. And more importantly, he had given them hope for the next one. And so it's not all that surprising to, to find them here with Christ, caring for he and the twelve out of their own means. But what is surprising is that Luke would choose to record that here, that the Holy Spirit would decide to, to make note of it and leave it. You know, in a culture where much, if not all, of a woman's work was overlooked or outright dismissed, why would Luke give us this? It certainly wasn't a PR move to kind of make Jesus look better, make him look more loving, make him look more caring, to make him look more legitimate. If anything, this would have been ammunition for those who hated him, right? It would have said his, his ministry is less legitimate, that he has all of these around him. And so why? Why is it that, that this stays here for us? Well, I want to suggest to you again two reasons. First, as we've seen over and over again, it's a reminder to us of who or maybe what type of people Christ came to save. 
it is the weak. It is the, the demon-possessed. It's the sinners. It was the socially outcast, those who were on the fringe that Jesus cared for. Now, that's why we as Christians in our world today, we need to be careful how we talk about issues like social justice and about real freedom. You know, I know those are, those are hot-button topics, and we want to kind of keep our distance from them, but we need to realize that God does care about those issues, that Christ really did come to save those who are oppressed, that he really did come to care for those who are marginalized. Now, many in our world today who are on those extremes, they need to conform to God's law, and we need to tell them that. But we don't need to act as if they don't have something to say. Because Jesus cares for those types of people, especially those who are spiritually marginalized, and that's every single one of us. So we need to be careful here as we see. It is a great joy to see these three women with Jesus. But there's another reason, and ladies, this is primarily addressed to you, though it's not exclusively addressed to you. But one of the, the great misconceptions or outright lies that is perpetrated about God and about the Bible and about the church, uh, especially in Reformed circles, is that it leaves no place for women in ministry. Because we do believe that God has given authority to, to the husband. Because we do believe that, that God has given authority to men to, to hold offices in the church. The assumption is, is that women can have no place, or they just have to be second-class citizens in God's economy. But here we're reminded that, that nothing could be further from the truth. And to whatever extent, we, not, we, all of us as a church, not just this church, but the church universal, has fed to that lie, we, we need to repent. We need to, to ask God for, for his forgiveness. Yes, there is structure to authority. Yes, there are gender roles that God lays out for us. And he calls us to, and we need to take those seriously. But we also need to recognize that in worth and in value, there is no difference. The roles may be different, but in value and worth, God sees them the same. He doesn't hold one up on a pedestal and put one down low. There is no first class and second class. Even more than that, for our purposes here, need to recognize that those roles in no way, they, they don't exclude you ladies from his service. Now, some may be called, as that lady last week was, to anoint his feet, to worship him and praise him. Others may be called to do like these women and to support his ministry, uh, whether it's financially or otherwise. Some may be called to missions in foreign lands. Some may be called to missions in their jobs. Some of you may be called to missions in your homes. Don't minimize that. How does God primarily work throughout Scripture? Through families. He's giving you a, a wonderful and powerful and mighty role in his kingdom. You don't need to minimize that in, in any way. It's not second class. And look, I haven't done a great job of this, but it's not an afterthought. Ladies, God has designed you with a purpose, to serve him faithfully to the end. And isn't that part of the joy of verses 1 through 3? You see Mary Magdalene here serving God. And what happens at the end of this book? You see her at the temple. You see her again, I mean at the tomb, worshiping the risen Savior. She sticks it out. Unlike most everybody else, 
she sticks it out to the end. She is a faithful servant of Christ, calling all of you, all of us, men and women alike, to do the same. And so we see these three surprising servants, valued servants, and that leaves us just with the parable itself. And so the second thing that I want you to see uh, is, the, is the story, is the content of what Jesus gives us. And he, he gives it there in verses 5 through 8. He says, the sower goes out, he casts his seed, and as he does, the seed falls in different places. Some of it falls along the path, like the sidewalk where it's, it's ground down hard so that it can't penetrate into the dirt. It's trampled on, and the birds come and they take it away. Some falls among the rocks. It can't uh, get down and get any root, and so there's no water. It withers away. It says some falls among the thorns, but, but there it's choked out by the other plants. The thorns choke it out, right? No nutrients, no sun, no water. And then he says some, it falls on the good soil. And on the good soil, it yields a hundredfold. Now, obviously, this would have been something that was very familiar to those in attendance, just as I'm sure that it is familiar to many of you who, who like to farm, who, who like to work in your yards. You can get in your mind a picture of what Jesus is talking about here. But remember, that the point that, that he's coming to is not always easy to see. And that's made evident for us in verse 9, right? Well, what, how, who is the first people that come to him and say, Lord, what are you talking about? What's well, the people that should get it? It's the disciples, right? Before we're too hard on them, they do the right thing. They, they come to Christ. They come to God. They say, hey, what does this mean? And he is all too willing to give them the answer. In his grace, he's willing to tell them the truth. And so you, you see the, the, the story itself. But thirdly, I want you to see the interpretation. Uh, and that's the great thing about this, this parable in particular is Jesus does interpret it for us. Now, we see that there in verses 11 through 15. First, he says the seed is the word of God. Now, immediately, I think we should be struck here uh, by, by where Jesus starts. I think for most of us, the first thing that we would have sought to interpret is the sower, right? We would have thought to say, who, who is the one casting the seed? What's he like? You know, is he the reason why it falls in some good soil and some bad soil and some... Uh, what's, what's this sower like? Jesus does not even address the sower, does he? He immediately goes to the seed. Why? Because though the, the sower is not unimportant, whether it's the pastor, whether it's a friend, whoever it may be, the power is not in the sower. The power is in God working through his word. I think I've told you all this story before. I know some of you have, uh, but I have a, a preacher friend who was telling me a story. He was actually preaching through Romans, and he, he got to Romans 12, that great passage at the very beginning, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he took those passages and he split them into two. He's going to preach two sermons on it. And so uh, in the first sermon, he, he read the whole passage, what was going to be actually two sermons, but he read all the way through it. And after the first sermon, a lady came to him at the back of the church at the end, and she said, I loved your say." It spoke to my heart in a mighty and powerful way. And of course, he was gracious, and he was thankful for that. But he said Wednesday of that same week, she called him. She said, hey, I was just listening to your sermon again. And she said, I just realized you didn't even preach on the part that spoke to my heart. She said, you read it, but you didn't preach on it. I 
lives. What an example, what, what, a, what an illustration that is of the truth. The power is not in me. The power is not in my words. The power is here. The power is here. As we read God's word, as we hear it proclaimed, this is what changes us. This is what transforms us, whether it's me standing here or whoever, whether it's Billy Graham, whoever. The power is in the word. And so the, 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 the first, and so the word goes out. The, the seed goes out, and we see that it falls on various kinds of soil. Some bad uh, and one good. And so the first soil is the path, and Jesus says it, those are the people uh, that are hard, that, that are indifferent to the things of God. They hear it, uh, but they don't hold on to, to any of it. It goes in one ear and it goes out the other. And then Satan swoops in and he takes away the, the good things of the word so that they don't have salvation, so they, that they don't hear. It never takes root in their heart, never has a chance to grow. And so they, they are hardened against God. Guys, this is the reality for so many in the world today. That they have run so long, they have rebelled so hard against God that even when the word is proclaimed, they don't hear. This is the reality for people in churches today. Hearing his word and not turning to it, it only hardens the heart. Second soil is the one that, that is the rocks, right? And this one, is Jesus says, are people who receive the word with joy, but then they quickly fall away. They, they have no root or foundations to support them for the long haul. Maybe they hear it, and then they live in sin. Maybe they hear it, and they never really believe. They, they see, these are the people that cry out, Lord, Lord. He never really knows. These are the people from Hebrews chapter 6, right? The third soil is the one among the thorns. And it seems to me that, that maybe this is the one that is most dangerous for us in our Western society. Uh, these people, they don't seem to hate God's word. Uh, they aren't flashes in the pan like so many others. Uh, but as they go, they are overwhelmed with all that life throws at them. Uh, you know, first he says it's the cares, it's the hardships, the anxieties, the pressures. And their faith just kind of slips through the cracks. For others, it's, it's the riches that they have accumulated, the money, the, the work, the goals that they've set for themselves. They just don't have time for, for faith anymore. Third, he says, maybe it's the pleasures. Maybe it's all of the, the vacations, the toys, the, the things that we have. They just eventually take the place of God. Again, it may not be malicious necessarily, uh, but we just forget to nourish and care for the soul. Uh, it's too much around us that, that chokes us out. Uh, J.C. Ryle, in his commentary, he says, The things of this life form one of the greatest dangers which beset a Christian's path. The money, the pleasures, the daily business of the world are so many traps to catch souls. Thousands of things, which in themselves are innocent, become, when followed to excess, little better than soul poisons and helps to hell. Open sin is not the only thing that ruins souls. In the midst of our families and in the pursuit of our lawful callings, we have need to be on our guard. Except we watch and pray these temporal things may rob us of heaven. And smother every sermon we hear. We may live and die thorny grounded hearers. It's challenging to us. Uh, that's 
big words that we all need to take in. And so we have the, the bad soils, but then finally, we have the one good soil. And Jesus says, this is like those who hear the word. They hold fast to it with an honest and good heart, uh, the heart that longs and thirsts for righteousness, that longs and thirsts for God. And what does God produce in it? It grows deep, produces a, a harvest that really is a hundredfold. Now, with that interpretation, as we consider the, this parable of the sower, one that's so familiar to us, as we try to conclude and wrap it together, the, the question is, is what type of soil does your heart contain today? As God's word goes out, and certainly it has, as it's, it's been read to you, if nothing else, what, what type of heart, what type of soil is, is it falling on today? Are you that, that hard path? Is it penetrating not at all? If so, it's not too late. God can take even hard, useless-seeming ground, and he can cultivate it and make great things out of it. Are you that rocky soil? Again, if so, it's not too late. Maybe you have professed faith at some point in your past, but you have been living in sin since then. You've fallen away. Come, come to Jesus. Remember the, the beauty of who he is. Maybe you're those thorns. Maybe you've, you've been overwhelmed by all that life has thrown your way. Don't let the distractions of this life, don't, don't let the things that seem so good in this life steal away heaven, as Ryle said there from you. May God make us all that, that good soil. May we all hear his word. May it penetrate deep into our hearts. And may he grow roots in us so that as his people, we might have a harvest that, that is a hundredfold, many may come to know Jesus through our lives and through the work that he has done in us. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider this great parable before us, as we consider your use of them, Lord, it is somewhat intimidating. It's somewhat scary to think that, that these words that are so easy for us to kind of take in uh, might be concealing the truth to us, uh, truths that we've heard a hundred, a thousand times. Uh, and so we pray for your wisdom. We pray for your guidance. Help us to understand the truth that you've given us. Uh, Lord, even more than that, as we study your word, as we hear it proclaimed, as we uh, go to, to Bible, whatever it may be, uh, Lord, we pray that, that our hearts would be that good soil, uh, that the seed of your word wouldn't fall on deaf ears, uh, that it wouldn't fall in places where it will not take root and grow and last uh, but that you would give us uh, good cultivated places for it to, to prosper. Uh, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and heart that, that longs for you. Father, how we thank you for Jesus, that, that in him we have this hope. You know, without him, we would all be that hard, hardened ground. Uh, but he comes and seeks us out. He transforms those hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And so we look to him always by faith trusting that you will complete that great work that you have started in us. It's in Christ's name we pray all of these things. Amen.